This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is again from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along as I read. It's also found on page 861 in the Bibles in your rows. Luke 5, 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Zhang. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to all of you. How many of you are cheering for the Rams? All right. How many of you are cheering for the Bengals? All right. Perfect. Well, the sermon today is on the idolatry of sports. I hope you all go home and repent. May God have mercy on our souls. No, just kidding. It's a happy day for our city, and I hope that we have more reasons to celebrate tonight. On the last two Sundays, we looked at Jesus' teachings and his miracles. And Pastor Jeff said last week that um, we can learn a lot about a person by looking at his words and his deeds. And I think we can also learn a lot about a person by looking at who he spends time with. And this Sunday, we will look at who Jesus hangs out with. Now, before I begin... Let me ask you this. What is the most hated word in the last two years in the world, in the whole world? Probably the word COVID, right? There's no one in, this, in, in the whole world not, not affected by this virus. And a little bit over two years ago, I was working with a group of colleagues planning this um, large conference in China partnership for Chinese Christians in Malaysia. And up to the day before the conference, we were still praying whether we should pull the plug on the conference or not because the virus was burning through Wuhan at that time. It was the first time I had to put on a mask for this virus. And two weeks after the conference, we all let out a deep breath of a deep breath because no one got sick from the conference. And little do we know, another two weeks later, the virus will find us here in America. In these two years, we've all gone through the same dance, whether we should attend this conference or not whether we should host this party or not, whether we should travel or not. If we see someone coughing on the street, cross the other side. See someone with a runny nose, don't let him kiss you. You know, just don't let strangers kiss you in general, but definitely not (laughs) anyone with a runny nose. If you shake someone's hands, make sure you wash your own. If you have COVID, you better stay home for the rest of your life because you will bear the shame and scorn of the entire human race if you don't. We can talk about drugs and vaccines and masks, but the bottom line is we're all familiar with how this goes. Stay away from infected people, you'll be fine. Exposed to infected people, you will most likely get infected. It's also why healthcare workers have such a hard job. 
because they're trying to stay healthy while being exposed to COVID patients almost every day. How about sin? What's our approach to fighting sin? Theologian Cornelius Plantingay compares sin to a virus. It spreads and grows with the human race. It lives in us and feeds on us. But as it feeds on us, it also kills us and destroys us. But unlike the coronavirus, which seems to be mutating weaker and weaker, sin only grows stronger and stronger. Jesus here also compares sinners to the sick. And he compares himself to a physician. We live in a pandemic of sin, and it seems like so far no one's been able to develop a vaccine for it. Are there effective treatment options? Can we fight the pandemic of sin the same way we fight COVID? And I can tell you, some people tried. And we'll look at those people a little bit later. But first, let's look at the sick, and then the healthy, and lastly, the physician. All right? So the sick people in Jesus' analogy are the tax collectors. When people in Jesus' day comes across a tax collector, they would immediately have alarm bells sounding off in their minds. Danger, danger. Bad people, bad people, sinners, sinners. The tax collectors are always bad in the eyes of the Jewish people. Anytime the phrase tax collector comes up in the Gospels, it's always associated with something negative. Now, when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, he said, what's so special about loving your own people? Even the tax collectors do it. Even those bad people know how to learn to love their own people. Or when Jesus teaches the disciples how to deal with unrepentant sinners, he said, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. When Jesus was talking about who will enter his, into his kingdom, he said, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. When the Pharisees criticized Jesus, they called him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And of course, in our passage today, the Pharisees asked, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? The term tax collector is always synonymous to sinners, drunkards, and prostitutes. Why so much hate? What do these people have against the IRS? Well, I think it helps to understand how taxes work in Jesus' days. The Jews in those days don't have their own independence. They were ruled by foreigners, by the Romans. And they hated being ruled by those foreigners. The Romans were violent, oppressive. And they ruled with an iron fist. That's why they had no trouble crucifying Jesus. Because Rome was quick to squash any threats of rebellion. But worst of all, the Romans did not respect the Jewish people's faith. The first Roman conqueror, Pompey, desecrated their temples. So the Jews always hated the Romans. But yet they were too afraid to do anything against them. Kind of like how the Bengals fans always gritted their teeth against the Ravens for years because we couldn't do anything against them until now, right? Now, where did the tax collectors fit in? See, the Romans were too smart to do all the legworks themselves. So they would farm out tax collection to the locals. They would hire local contractors to collect taxes in the region. And these local contractors would hire their own employees to help collect taxes. These agents would set up tax booths on the side of the road to 
collect taxes from merchants and farmers, kind of like toll booths on the side of our highways. And Levi was probably one of these employees who were working for a larger, a bigger tax collector. And he was here sitting next to his little booth. In Luke 19, you can see that Zacchaeus, the little man, is described as a chief tax collector, a very wealthy man. So he was probably one of those contractors that the Romans hired. And how did these tax collectors make money? Well, they have a quota on how much money they needed to collect to turn into Rome. And on top of that, they would collect extra to fill their own pockets. And the people would have to give them whatever they demanded because they were backed by the Roman authorities. And that's why early in the gospel, John the Baptist told them to collect no more than you're authorized to do. And after meeting Jesus, Zacchaeus agreed to pay back anyone he has defrauded. You can probably see why they were so hated now, can't you? Not only that they were collaborating with the Romans, they were also fleecing their own people. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about tax collectors. The tax collectors were the lowest member of what may be called the Vichy, or collaborationist movement in Palestine. Men who fleece their own fellow countrymen to get money for the occupying power in return for a fat percentage of the swag. As such, they were like the hangman, outside all decent social intercourse. Some of them did pretty well financially, and no doubt most of them enjoy up to a point the protection and contemptuous favors of the Roman government. Maybe a more com contemporary comparison could be like the Jews, Jewish guards who worked for the Nazis in the concentration camp during World War II. For Luke, these tax collectors served as the archetypal sinners beyond the pale of salvation. And it's to these sinners that Jesus came to call. But before I get there, let me ask you this. Who are the tax collectors in your life? Who are the people that you, when you see them, the alarm bells will ring off in your mind and you will say, danger, danger, bad people, bad people, sinners, sinners. I think we all have those, maybe the unvaccinated, or the racist, the people who came from a different ethnic or economic group, some who voted for the other party, perhaps. What's your, what's your attitude toward those people? Do you shun them like a COVID patient? Do you only let them come close to you when you have your full body armor, your hazmat suit on? Maybe you are one of those tax collectors in your life. Maybe you're the black sheep of your family. You're shunned by your friends. You're ashamed of what you have done. You feel the need to quarantine from the rest of society. Now, Levi may have been a very rich man. He could throw a party for his friends. But he was shunned by his countrymen. Now, you could be successful too, but relationally broken. Is there any hope for you? Jesus offered Levi the opportunity for restoration, and Levi jumped at it. If today you offer a chance to be restored and love, will you jump at the opportunity? So here's the sick. What does the healthy people do about them? Well, the Pharisees are what Jesus described as those who are well, the healthy people. These were respected Jewish teachers and rabbis who would go around teaching people the Jewish faith. Remember, the Jews were being governed by the Romans, by pagans, Gentiles. 
So the Pharisees saw themselves as guardians of the Jewish faith. Their goal was to teach people to keep the Sabbath, obey the law of the Old Testament, stay ceremonial clean, obey all the traditions, live a righteous life so that they would be rewarded by God. And you can imagine why the Pharisees particularly hated the tax collectors. The Pharisees saw themselves as guardians of the Jewish faith. The tax collectors collaborated with the Romans to oppress the Jews. Tax collectors work for the enemies, the worst of the worst. And they're also unclean because they hang out with Gentiles. It's all the more reason to stay away from them because the Pharisees don't want to get themselves dirty. Avoid them like a plague. And because the Pharisees hated the tax collectors so much, they were also suspicious of anyone who would associate with them. Jesus eats with them. He is automatically guilty by association. He's unclean. You could imagine them standing outside, crossing their arms, and grumbling to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now look, I want to be really clear. There are sometimes good reasons to avoid sinners. If, for example, someone had repeatedly hurt you with his or her sins, not, it's wise, it's healthy, and even maybe necessary to establish some hard boundaries with those people. Not only to protect yourself, but also to remove the opportunity for them to commit the same sins over and over again. Or sometimes it's wise to avoid sinners when you may be tempted to join them in their sins. It's wise for a recovering alcoholic to avoid meeting other alcoholics in the bar. It is wise for a recovering sex addict not to mingle with prostitutes. It's wise for someone struggling with greed to avoid casinos. These are wise things to do, and we should be honest about our own weaknesses. But even in these situations, we may, while we stay away from those temptations, we may still have some compassion a sense of compassion and sympathy for those people who struggle with the same addiction. We may hate the sin, but we can still have compassion for those sinners because we fight the same battle. We feel their pain. Now look at the Pharisees. They're not being actively hurt by the tax collectors, at least no more than ordinary citizens, and there's no chance they will ever join them to, working for, to work for Rome the Pharisees avoided the tax collectors for one major reason only. They hated them. They despised them. Not only that they hated their sins, they looked down at the sinners. This kind of avoidance is not self-protection or wisdom. It's self-righteousness. And later on, Luke 18, Jesus tells a story that highlights how much the Pharisees hated the tax collectors. Now Jesus said, two men entered into the temple to pray. One Pharisee and one tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I'm not like one of those bad guys. Look how much better I am compared to them. So let me ask you again, who are the tax collectors in your life? People that you think are way beneath you when you compare yourself to them. 
People that will bring you shame when you're seen with them. Well, let me put it this way. Who are the people that you're most likely to cancel? To ignore because you think they're beneath your attention. When I first became a Christian, I had a pretty bad experience with one particular denomination. And eventually I started attending a Presbyterian church and grew in my knowledge of grace. But I had a hard time, I had a hard time loving those people from that other denomination. Not only that, I thought they were wrong, I thought they were ignorant and stupid. Have you had that experience before? You were hurt by someone and then you turn around and hate not just for, for what they did, but who they are. And the irony is, when I started dating my wife, I found out she grew up in that denomination. <laughs> and I thought, you can't be one of those people. You're too normal for that. And perhaps it's God's way of teaching me to love those people that I do not agree with. And maybe God is doing the same for you when he places tax collectors close to you. But then Jesus goes on with a story about the Pharisees and tax collectors. And he said the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The tax collector is saved. The Pharisee is rejected. Now, how could this evil tax collector be saved and the righteous Pharisees be condemned? It's because who the physician is. So we have looked at the tax collector as the sick people. The, Pharisee as the, the Pharisees as the healthy people. Let's now look at who the physician is. Jesus responds to the Pharisees' question. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The physician came to find the sick. Now make no mistake, Jesus does not shy away from calling them sick. He didn't downplay this pandemic of sin as a hoax. Like I mentioned earlier, Jesus spoke disparagingly, disparagingly of the tax collectors, of their corruption, of their greed. Jesus absolutely hated their sins. But at the same time, he seeks them out and eats with them. He loved the sinners. And earlier it says, Levi left everything to follow Jesus. But Jesus left everything to find them. He left his glory. He left his heavenly throne. He left his wealth to come find you. But think of what kind of physician Jesus must be. He was not afraid of their sin that they would infect his holiness. He was not concerned about being guilty by association. He did not need a hazmat suit to go near them. Notice he wasn't just eating with Levi, but with a large company of tax collectors and others. He went straight into their midst. And he claimed to have the power to heal them. Now, if you've ever faced the darkness of your own sins, you understand this must be some doctor that have the power to heal our sins. And Jesus' words may make it sound like some people in the world need healing and some people are healthy and fine. And you may divide the world in this way as well. 
the salvations of those bad people, people who have done bad things. I'm good enough myself, thank you very much. Now in Chinese, the character for sinners is also the same character for criminals. So when I went to the church for the first time and the pastor said, Jesus came to save sinners, and my first reaction was, I don't need Jesus, I'm not a criminal. We can keep thinking this way until you notice where everyone is in this story. This is common refrain in the Gospels. Jesus is eating and drinking with sinners, and the Pharisees and the scribes are complaining outside. That's the setting where Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. If you remember from the story, at the end of the story, the prodigal son is inside partying and dancing with his family, and the elderly brother is outside, refusing to go in. That's exactly what's happening here. The tax collectors and the sinners are eating and drinking with God. And the Pharisees are outside looking in. Both Matthew and Mark mention this story in their Gospels, but only Luke mentions a great feast. You may have heard the saying, the church is not a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners. But I think it needs an addendum here. The church... It's a hospital for sinners, and it has great food. (laughs) You would never find a hospital in the whole world that has great food except for this one. We feast and dance and celebrate because Jesus, the Son of God, has come to find us and heal us. Levi's great feast is not just some regular old dinner. It foreshadows who will be eating and drinking with God in new heavens and new earth. The people who need Jesus will be feasting with him. The people who reject Jesus be standing outside. Where do you stand in relation to this feast? The problem with the Pharisees is that they only see the external sins of other people commit, but not the sin inside themselves. In another place of the Bible, Jesus compares the, text, the, the Pharisees to whitewashed graves. They look good on the outside, but they're filthy and dead inside. They tithe everything they have, even their spices at home. But their hearts are cold with self-righteousness and hate. They have total misunderstanding about sin. Sin is rooted in our hearts. We don't catch the virus by being exposed to others. The virus of sin is deep inside of us. The question is how good we are at covering up the symptoms. Our sin is deep. The deeper you look, the more you will find. Like I mentioned earlier, when I first became a Presbyterian, I started to grow in grace and my knowledge of God in Christ, and I began to learn what it really means to repent. And I would come clean before God about how sinful I am. I would repent of not just what I did, but how I thought about things and who I was. And eventually, I would kind of look around and, and thought, look, I'm getting better at this repentance thing. I repent better than other people. I'm more humble than I ever will be. See the problem there? Cornelius Plantinga writes, Repentant sinners need to repent even of some dimensions of their repentance, such as their pride and the humility that has driven them to their knees. Evil contaminates every scalpel designed to remove it. At its depth, sin corrupts religion itself, its public enemy. If we were to separate this world 
between the healthy and the sick, between the righteous and the sinners. And there's only one way to make this division, and that's between Jesus and the rest of us. Whether you identify more as a Pharisee or a tax collector, you're not too different. And the only way for us to become healthy, to be made righteous, is to go into Jesus' side and for Jesus to come to ours. For him to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, to give us all of his righteousness. Jesus is judged for our sins on the cross, but his innocence and righteousness falls on us. That's the grace of the Christian faith. And repentance is turning our sins to God and drinking from this grace over and over. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Jesus is the physician and the cure. He left everything to take our place on the cross so then we can leave everything to take his place on glory. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for sending your son to take our place on the cross, that you take the place of sinners so then we can take your place in glory. Father, we pray that you remind us of our sinfulness to help us to look deep in our hearts to first take the log out of our eyes before we take the speck of others. Help us to have compassion on those who struggle with sin, with temptations, with various thoughts and pride, because we are the same also. Help us to love them and approach them and share the gospel with them, to look to you for salvation. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.
You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.